Welcome to the Left and Lefter podcast with your hosts, Vince LaMartina and Dean Vergara. This is the Left and Lefter podcast, where we discuss the current news and events from the ideological perspectives of a moderate Democrat and a Democratic Socialist. I am your host, Vince LaMartina, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Dean Vergara. We're back again with another episode. Dean, how are you doing today? Just splendid. Perfect. Glad to hear. A lot has happened over the last couple of days. We had a whole convention, the first all-digital convention, so we have a lot to talk about. A lot's happened in the news. But before we get started, don't forget you can support the Left and Lefter podcast directly by purchasing merchandise on our website. Go to leftandlefter.com slash shop to get your Biden-Harris 2020 merchandise. We have exclusive Biden-Harris merchandise that you can only find on our website. So go to leftandlefter.com slash shop. That's leftandlefter.com slash shop. Now, Dean, let's go ahead and get right into it. Our first segment of the episode, reacting to the news, where we react to our current news story of the week, our good news story of the week, and we nominate our Dumbo of the week. Our news story of the week is the Republican National Committee released its list of deplorables set to speak at next week's 2020 convention. Speakers include Matt Gates, all of Trump's children and their spouses and or mistresses, former Democratic Representative Jeff Van Drew, and UFC President Dana White. Dean, what are your thoughts on this year's speakers for the 2020 Republican National Convention? Yeah, Vince. Uh, so my first initial reaction is, of course, of course, those were the speakers. It's not like the Republican Party has a very deep bench. Um, to, put it, to put it in uh, sports terms, um, their bullpen is probably as awful as the bullpen was for the New York Mets last year. Uh, so, you know, any listener who's not familiar, familiar with baseball, uh, that is very, very bad. Um, and, and for, yes, for our non-baseball listeners, there's two baseball teams in New York and the Mets are known as the JV for a reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Vince, you always like reminding me about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, I think what's most disturbing about the RNC speakers would have to be that crazy St. Louis couple um, that was threatening to shoot Black Lives Matter protesters in front of their house. It, it just shows how this party is very comfortable when it comes to white people having guns aimed at people of color, but they are very uncomfortable about black individuals kneeling on a football field. Saying that the Republican Party is racist, I think is maybe too broad. There are probably some Republicans still left that believe in what they think is the right economic uh, path forward for the country in terms of low taxes. But when the RNC is validating the awfulness that that couple displayed by having them speak at their convention, it's just, it, again, it's disturbing. Um, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that, Vince? I have a little bit of a different perspective on the list of speakers that the RNC has chosen for 
this year's convention. For me, I think it shows how much trouble the Trump campaign must be in. Because you look at this list of speakers that they've put together, and there is not one person who is running in a competitive race who wants to be seen as part of this convention. There is no Susan Collins. McSally's not going to be there. None of the competitive Senate races that are happening. Is Rubio going to be there? You don't, there's no Marco Rubio. Even people who have competitive races potentially in 2022 aren't showing up. Ron DeSantis won't be there. He won't be speaking. So I think it really shows for a campaign that continues to say they're not worried, that they have everything under control, that Trump's going to win. The rest of the party does not seem to be buying that. There is not one person from a competitive race who's bothering to speak on, for Trump or on behalf of Trump or on behalf of the Republicans at this convention. And to me, that's eye-opening. Now, they may have some surprises in store. We don't know. The Democrats did, right? There were people who the Democrats did not openly say were going to be at the convention who ended up speaking. So the Republicans might have some aces in their pockets, but I don't think they do. And I think anyone who is concerned about their House seat or their governor's race coming up or their Senate seat, anyone who's an elected official on the Republican side who's going to be in a competitive race, I don't see them wanting to have anything to do with Trump or the Republican convention. And I think the reason that they want nothing to do with Donald Trump right now is because Donald Trump is losing and no one wants to be associated with the loser. So for all the hyperbole, for all the bravado that the Trump campaign pushes out, it really shows what the people who are in the party believe is happening. Because if Donald Trump was up 10 points in the polls, five points in the polls, six points in the polls, if he was in a competitive race against Joe Biden, you better believe every person the Republicans had would be there. N now look at who they're settling for. So Vince, I think that's a fantastic point. Um, and I'd also like to know what your thoughts are on what I believe to be a clear example of Donald Trump trying to hone in on the culture war because he's inviting the, the shotgun couple. He's inviting, I'm not going to say anything negative about the kid. Uh, I don't want to get sued. Not that I have anything for him to, to sue me for, but I'm not even going to say his name. Uh, but if you don't know who I'm referring to, uh, there was a certain young man who has been able to sue a couple news outlets for an undisclosed amount of money for defamation. Um, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> but it, I, I think it's interesting that he's inviting these people that the right love to hold up as victims of the culture war, of the left's, of the left's over expansive use of cancel culture. What do you think about that? I think it shows the direction the Republicans are going to have to go in as far as how they, what their vision is or their path to victory is going to be. I think they were dealt a big blow by the Democrats and Joe Biden. We're going to talk a lot later in this episode about our feelings on the Democratic convention. But Joe Biden's speech, but Joe Biden doing such a great job with his speech. And let's face it, the Republicans, their attack on the Democrats and specifically on Joe Biden has been, do not elect Joe Biden. 
because he's a senile old man who can't even put one sentence together. Well, Thursday night, Joe Biden gives not just an acceptance speech, but a presidential speech. It was a presidential address, and it was so well done. It destroyed that argument that the Republicans have been trying to play now for months. So what are they left with? They can't run on the economy. They can't run on COVID. The only option they have left is this culture war. The idea that the Democrats have went too far with attacking the American culture, that that the Democrats are destroying our history, and that if we elect Democrats, the suburbs are going to turn into the cities, and there's going to be mass crime everywhere. That's all they have left. And I think it's very telling that you look at this list and that's who they're going to push out there because that is their last play. There is only so many days left in this election and anything can and will happen. But there's only so, there's only so many hands to be played and they're running out of cards. They're running out of time. So they're all in on the culture war. They don't have another option. Their second best play was Joe Biden's incompetent. Well, that's out the window. Joe Biden gave a speech that Trump wished he could give. I've never seen Donald Trump give a speech like Joe Biden was able to give Thursday night. No, absolutely not. And I don't think we're saying that from people that are, you know, who are, who are both supporting Joe Biden. Um, when a Republican is able to give a good speech, I think both of us are able to objectively say, despite what the content of the speech might be and how, no matter how ugly the content may be, we can appreciate a, a good speech for what it is. Um, and Republicans have acknowledged that it was a great speech. Laura Ingram, Chris yeah, Wallace, exactly. everyone on Fox exactly. News said this was a home run for Joe Biden. And everything that Trump has tried to attack Biden on when it comes to losing a step or being senile, whatever BS attack he was using on Joe Biden, it's not going to work because Joe Biden hit a home run. So what is the next thing left? That's where he, where, that's where he is right now. All he has left is this idea of the cancel culture and Democrats destroying culture, and we're going to make this a culture war. What else does he have? No, you're right. He has, he has nothing else. I don't want to say it's a sad state of affairs for the Republican Party, because I think I want to see the Republican Party uh, ultimately fail. But it seems that although we both disagreed with the idea of conserv- conservative economic policy, at least there was some substance behind it. You understand what I'm saying? It seems as if all of those people who may have been more socially liberal and are were economically conservative have been forced out of the party by, by Trump and by his rabid supporters. And if you don't toe the line and you do not constantly praise this president, there's no room for you within the Republican Party. So I guess for me, it's going to be interesting to see where the Republican Party goes after Donald Trump. Is this permanent? Is it temporary? Only time will tell. I think if you're the Democrats, you're probably happy seeing the speaker list because I think any objective political advisor would say the best path for the president is to try to get somehow in the next couple months, the country to believe that everything is better. Typically, one of the most important questions for any president running for reelection is the direction of the country. 
the easiest path for Donald Trump to try to fix that is to try to come across with a message of unity. Now, throughout the past four years, he's been only divisive. So maybe that's just a tough sell for Donald Trump to do. And they know that there's no point of even trying. But you look at that guest speaker list, and they're definitely throwing the talent on trying to even attempt to play towards unity or bringing people together or making Americans feel like everything is going to be better. They're going straight for the country is broken. And it's the Democrats fault. That's a hard sell when you're the president of the United States. Next is our good news story of the week. This week's good news story of the week is about 13 year old Braden Harrington's speech at the 2020 Democratic National Convention. On Thursday, Braden sat in his home speaking to a cell phone camera and reading carefully from a piece of paper. He looked up and told the world how the former vice president, by speaking about his own experience, had helped him deal with his own speech impediment. Take a quick listen. Hi, my name is Braden Harrington and I'm 13 years old. And without Joe Biden, I wouldn't be talking to you today. About a few months ago, I met him in New Hampshire. He told me that we were members of the same club. We, we stutter. It was really amazing to hear that someone like me became vice president. He told me about a book of poems by Yeats he would read out loud to practice. He showed me how he marks his addresses to make them easier to say out loud. So I did the same thing today. I'm just a regular kid, and in a short amount of time, Joe Biden made me more confident about something that's bothered me my whole life. Joe Biden cared. Imagine what he could do for all of us. Kids like me are counting on you to elect someone we can all look up to. Someone who cares. Someone who will make our country and the world feel better. We're counting on you to elect Joe Biden. Dean, what is your response to Braden's speech at the Democratic National Convention? It was, it was my favorite moment of the entire convention. It just goes to show how, as a country and as a society, I think we have become increasingly cynical. And when, when you see a past vice president um, talk to that young boy in that campaign rally, um, and you can see the amount of empathy and the amount of true compassion uh, that Biden had for that young boy with a speech impediment. Um, it was it was awesome, and it was even more awesome to see that kid do such an amazing job on the largest stage in the country. He he was incredible. It was incredibly moving. I think it was an amazing decision by the campaign to have him speak, not only as a clear example of who Biden is as a person, but how kindness towards strangers can go a really long way. Um, and I think that's an important reminder, especially today. Dean, I 100% agree. And I think when you look at Braden's speech, it fit in perfectly with one of the central messages of the Democratic National Convention, which is 
Joe Biden can be a healer. Joe Biden can unify the country. And it also was a sobering reminder to how far we have fallen when it comes to leadership. Thinking about a president who won an election after giving campaign speeches in giant rallies, mocking a reporter with a disability. When you see Braden's speech, you can't help but think about the fact that our country can be so much more. And I think when you look at the courage that Braden had to be able to give a speech like that, it's remarkable. And it's a testament to the fact that America is better than this, that we can be so much more. And that Donald Trump in the past four years does not have to define us as a country. So for me, his speech gave me hope. It gave me hope that we are better than this and that we can turn this around and that we can have a president who actually cares for the American people and will lead by example, not just by pride and bravado. For me, it was amazing to be able to listen to Braden's speech. I think he did an absolutely wonderful job. Giving a speech like that to the whole world is difficult for anyone, let alone someone who suffers from a speech impediment. So he should be nothing but proud about the job that he did. To be honest, even doing a podcast like this, I don't think I could give a speech like that. I know I would be sweating bullets and there would just be no way I could deliver something like that on such a huge stage. So for him, a 13-year-old boy with a speech impediment to stand up there and just give a wonderful speech and give a testament to the authenticity and the empathy of Joe Biden, great job, Braden. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was so well said. And what stuck out the most to, to me, what you just said was this idea of there are still reasons to have hope. And that's what it's all about. And it's, it's good to remember and hold on to that hope, especially during times like these where, you know, quite frankly, there aren't a lot of reasons to be hopeful. Um, and that goes beyond politics. This is the good news segment of the, of the podcast. So I, I don't want to make it into something negative per se, but I do think it's important to once again, differentiate the private citizen who Joe Biden invited and the private citizens that Donald Trump invited. Joe Biden invited a young boy who he met on the campaign trail and had a true genuine moment with that kid. He gave him his phone number and they have been speaking and trying to work on this awesome kid's speech impediment. That's who Joe Biden invited. Donald Trump invited a couple who threatened to shoot men and women who are fighting for equality. If that does not speak volumes to who Joe Biden is and who Donald Trump is, then I don't know what will. Now that brings us to our Dumbo of the Week. This week's Dumbo of the Week is the Republican Party. A new CBS YouGov poll released Sunday found that 57% of Republicans say that the 176,000 COVID-related deaths are, quote, acceptable. Dean, for a party that prides itself on being pro-life, it doesn't get much more hypocritical than this. What are your thoughts on our Dumbo of the Week, the Republican Party? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's very fitting. Um, the poll is by itself enough reason to award the Republican Party with the distinct honor of being our Dumbo of the Week. And then when you couple that with the very recent remarks made by Donald Trump's sister, Mary Trump, uh, in which her niece, I believe it was her niece, uh, recorded some very unreserved comments about, about her brother. And if anyone hasn't heard those, those recordings as of yet, she goes on to explain that Donald Trump only cares about Donald Trump. He always works to the best of his ability to make sure that every single conversation he has with every single person comes back to him because his favorite topic is the topic of talking about Donald Trump. She also says that Donald Trump did not take his SATs. She said that she actually remembers the name of the individual who took the SATs for him that allowed him to get into his favorite Ivy League school, University of Pennsylvania. And then Mr. Steve Bannon is indicted uh, for, for many counts of, of fraud, wire fraud, bank fraud, um, for, for essentially running a, a Ponzi scheme, in a sense. He and his cohorts were taking money under the guise that it was going to be used for this great, amazing wall on our southern border and instead was pocketing the funds. So why am I talking about Mary Trump and Steve Bannon and, and the poll, as you mentioned, Vince? Because I don't know how much more evidence the Republican Party needs in order to believe that Donald Trump does not care about them, that the wall is one big scheme that Donald Trump, for over his entire career, even now we know before his actual career started, back when he was in school, his entire life has been a fraud and convincing people he is something that he is not. And yet the Republican Party, as it shows in this poll, continuously believes the utter BS that is coming out of this president's mouth. Because there's no other explanation as to why any group of people, any majority uh, in, a, in a specific group of people would think 170,000 people dead is acceptable. There is no other explanation. I think there is no doubt in my mind, and I think most of our listeners' minds, that the Republican Party is firmly the party of Donald Trump. And I think when you look at a poll where 57% of Republicans think that the 176,000 deaths are okay and acceptable, it speaks volumes. To be honest with you, Dean, I find the poll somewhat hopeful in a sense that 
it wasn't 100% of the Republicans who believed that the COVID-related deaths were acceptable. I'm actually surprised it was only 57%, especially considering how united the Republican Party seems to be when it comes to Donald Trump. And you look at the RNC and how they have consistently backed every crazy thing that Donald Trump has done. It doesn't matter when he called COVID a hoax. It doesn't matter when he turns his back on our troops with Russian bounties. They have continued to support him. So in a way, I'm somewhat hopeful that 43% of the party at least has a conscience and understands that that many people dying is not okay. And I know it's a low bar, and I'm not saying that it's a great poll, but it's somewhat surprising to me at least that it wasn't a larger majority of Republicans who think it's okay to have that many Americans dying. Yeah, so just to, um, I, you know, I hate to, to burst your bubble here, Vince, uh, but can we just briefly go over some of the other poll results? So I don't know if it was mentioned already, um, this is a very recent poll. The poll itself was conducted between August 19th and August 21st. Um, is America better off now than it was four years ago? All voters, 35%. Republicans, 75%, yes. Why is America better off than it was four years ago. 82% said it's the confidence they have in Donald Trump. And then 67% of Republicans are saying that the condition of the national economy is good. And finally, how has the United States been dealing with COVID-19? 3% of Republicans say we're doing a good job. Just a quick reminder, we are 4% of the world's population and we have 25% of the world's COVID-19 deaths. So again, I don't know what universe these people are living in other than the fact that they are living in Donald Trump's universe. And that is a very scary place to be. But maybe for them it's not. You know, I, I, I guess we try to, we're trying to rationalize how so many Americans can just believe every single thing this guy says. And maybe it's impossible. Maybe we can't rationalize it. You know, Vince, I just, it's just stunning to me. And maybe it shouldn't be. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I agree, Dean. And I think it just shows how politically divided we are and how partisan everything's becoming. I mean, we're so partisan as a country that 57% of Republicans can say that hundred and almost 180,000 people dying is okay. That's the level of partisanship that we're at. And I think for everyone, it should be concerning how we got here and how to fix it. And I don't think that's an easy answer and there's no easy solution. But I will say if there is anyone who is more prepared for a moment like this, because let's face it, this job, whether it's Trump for four more years or whether it's Joe Biden, talk about a terrible job. Country couldn't be more divided. Economy 
is tanking. We've lost our respect throughout the world. This is not a great job to inherit. However, I will say if there's one person who is maybe built for this moment, it's Joe Biden. And I think it's really going to take someone who has the experience and the empathy needed to try to unite this country because it's going to be a tough road ahead no matter what. Next up is our last segment, the main event. This week's main event is the 2020 Democratic National Convention. Dean, what grade do you give the Democrats for this year's all-digital convention? And who gave the best speech and why? So my grade for the DNC convention, given the circumstances and given the relatively short notice of trying to, to bring together so many types of people from all parts of the country. So I would give the DNC convention relative to the circumstances, the short notice. Um, I would give the convention as a whole a B plus. I do think a better job could have been done in focusing more on policy um, and the policy agendas of the various politicians that, that spoke. But the moments that hit, they hit hard and they worked. And for me, the best speech was Barack Obama. I would argue, and we, we discussed this you know, over the phone, to me, that was the best that was the best speech i've ever seen him give and he has given a lot of amazing speeches there was such a sense of urgency and genuine concern in his voice and in in his facial expressions his words were 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 powerful and we also have to keep in mind that barack obama for a very long time he has tried to follow in the Bill Clinton, George W. Bush model. And by that, I mean, not say too many negative things about the current president in the White House. And, and you know what? He has. And to some people, he hasn't said enough, right? So I think what made his speech even more powerful is that President Obama is not constantly on the news, giving interviews, hammering away at how bad Donald Trump is at his job. So when he said that Donald Trump just isn't up for the job, he can't do the job, I think that was the most powerful sentence spoken during the entire convention. A, it's coming from a highly successful president and B, it's coming from someone who, again, has not been all over the, the news media attacking Donald Trump. So for me, having a very popular president give the speech he gave in the setting that he did, which was, it was a beautiful setting as well, it was just the most powerful moment of the entire convention. So even though I did have some small qualms with the overall production of it, 
but how critical can we really be? I mean, it was done in, in, in such a short amount of time. Dean, I know you might find this surprising, but I'm going to give it an A+. And honestly, if there's a grade higher than A+, I'd probably give it that. So I'll give it an A+++++. I don't think the Democrats could have planned or done anything better considering the circumstances around this convention. Being the first all-digital convention to break away from every norm of every convention before this, having it thrown on them at the last minute. Typically, these conventions have over a year worth of planning. Joe Biden's team had, what, two months to put this all together? So as far as what grade do I give it, I, I give it an A+. Plus. I don't think they could have done a better job. And I, and I think that going forward, we're going to see the way conventions are done are going to be drastically changed, I think, based off the success of this convention. As far as what speech I thought stood out, there were so many great ones from Michelle Obama to Barack Obama. I mean, the Obamas, is there a better husband and wife orator ever in the history of this country? I don't know. I don't think it gets better than Barack Obama and Michelle. And they both did an amazing job. I mean, Michelle gave a passionate plea to young voters and to people who stayed home last time around. Barack Obama just destroyed Donald Trump on a national stage. It was, in my opinion, I think your opinion as well, Dean, the best Obama speech period. I mean, Barack Obama has given some great speeches. And this one is right up there with some of the most historic and great speeches that Obama has given and definitely the best post Obama speech since his presidency, no doubt about that. Besides the Obamas, I thought Bernie Sanders gave an amazing speech, a, a passionate speech. And Dean knows this, I am not the biggest Bernie Sanders fan. It is very rare to hear me say anything nice about Bernie Sanders, but I will give credit where credit is due. And Bernie gave a passionate plea to his supporters about why electing Joe Biden is crucial to us accomplishing the progressive things that we want to accomplish as a party. Even though Joe might not agree with you on every issue, he told his supporters point blank that we can't afford four more years of Donald Trump and that Joe Biden is not perfect, but he's someone who's going to listen to you and work with you. And I thought that was very important. But that being said, out of all the speeches that happened, and there are so many great ones, I'm probably leaving some out. The best speech for me has to be Joe Biden's. And when I say the best speech is Joe Biden's, I'm not just saying the best speech is Joe Biden's because the media set the bar very low. And they did. The media set the bar low. And unfortunately for the Trump campaign, they set the bar low on that as well. Taking aside even where they set the bar for Joe Biden, it was one of the best acceptance speeches I think I've ever heard. And I think what made it so remarkable to me was that it wasn't a nomination acceptance speech. It was a presidential address. And it was the type of speech that our country desperately needed and that Donald Trump is incapable of doing. I thought it was very interesting throughout the whole speech. Joe Biden attacked the Trump administration, but never used his name. And I think that was done on purpose. I think additionally, Joe did a great job talking about some of the progressive policies that his campaign stand, stands by and is fighting for and will enact as president, which I think will get a lot of voters excited. But almost as important, he made a point to talk about how he's going to unify this country. And if you look at the whole Democratic National Convention, they're taking a gamble here. And this is something that, you know, we can look back maybe 
a couple months from now and say was a bad call, but they fundamentally believe, and I think that they might be right, and I'm hoping they're right, that this election and elections in general are not about policy. The people listening to this podcast, me and Dean, we all care about policy, but the average voter, that swing voter, they don't care about policy. For them, it's about voting for someone who they like, voting for someone who they believe cares about them. It's those intangibles that we take for granted. And that's what the whole convention was about. It was about highlighting Joe Biden's intangibles as a nominee for president, about his empathy, about his leadership, about his ability to unite this country. Joe Biden opened the speech, probably to the dismay of some on the left, by saying, I want to be the president not just for the Democrats, but also for Republicans and independents. The first opening part of his speech was a pitch to the country that I want to unite us all. And that's what the Biden campaign is betting on is going to win him the nomination, that the swing voter who's trying to figure out who to vote for, that they don't really care about policy. They care about us getting this country back on the right track. And they think the division that we currently have is too much. And yes, there are plenty of reasons to doubt that this can work, right? Hillary did something somewhat similar or tried to in 2016, running on Stronger Together, and it wasn't very effective. Now, I would argue, and I think the Biden campaign would argue, that the fundamentals are different. These are not two unknown candidates. These are two very well-known candidates. And the economy is different. And the deaths of COVID-19 are different. And the political unrest in this country is different. And because of those fundamentals being different, you can't judge 2016 in this election and say they're the same thing. And I think additionally, Joe Biden is a much different candidate than Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden is a far more likable candidate than Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden displays a lot more empathy, maybe, than Hillary Clinton was able to display. And I'm not trying to criticize Hillary. I'm a big, and Dean knows this, I'm a big Hillary Clinton fan. And I was a big fan of hers in 2016. And she would have made a great president. And we're suffering now as a country because we didn't go that route. But I think for Hillary, her unfavorables were way too high. And at the end of the day, those swing voters felt that, well, Donald Trump, what do I have to lose? I don't like either of them. I'm going to go with Donald Trump. Who knows? Maybe he'll turn out okay. And I think it's those voters that they're trying to pitch to. Because let's face it, do you really know anyone who's undecided? Everyone that you probably talk to knows who they're voting for. These, we know who these guys are. Everyone knows Joe Biden. Everyone knows Donald Trump by now. This isn't a situation where we're trying to wait to the debates or to the convention to really figure out what they're about. We already know. And everyone knows who they're voting for. And it's a very small group of people who are undecided or may flip to vote for someone else. And I think it's those people who look at it and say, okay, I voted for Trump in 2016. The country is way too divided. Things are falling apart. And this guy is talking about uniting the country. I'm going to vote for him because we can't afford four more years of doing the same thing. We're not better off than we were four years ago. And we can't keep going this direction. And that was the pitch that the Biden campaign is making. And we'll see in the end whether they're right about it. And we'll see if it was a good political strategy. For all those doubting them, I'd say, They've been pretty dead on so far. I remember the pundits were saying that Joe Biden was crazy during the primary for running on this idea that Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada didn't matter, and that South Carolina was going to be a firewall. 
and that he could perform so poorly in the first three states and it wouldn't make a difference. They said he was dead after Nevada. And in the words of Joe Biden, he's not dead and he didn't die. And Nevada and South Carolina proved to be his firewall, right? He wins there. And that was the whole campaign strategy. We're going to win big in South Carolina. They're going to deliver us that win. And then we're going to take it into Super Tuesday and steamroll Bernie Sanders. And what do they do? They won South Carolina and they steamrolled Sanders on Super Tuesday. Now you could make the argument, and I'm sure Dean would, that he might have had some help from potentially Barack Obama and some of the moderates who decided to uh, endorse Joe pretty quickly. Where'd all the candidates go? <laughs> I, remember, I remember it seemed like one morning I woke up and all the somewhat moderate candidates are just dropping out. <laughs> and granted that, you know, I think for, I think he definitely benefited that the moderates knew that there was only going to be one moderate going forward. And that if they wanted a moderate to represent the party, that it was going to be one of them. And at that point, South Carolina proved it was going to be Joe. But, you know, for all the criticism that people have given the Biden campaign, and I've been very critical of them at times, and I've been very critical of Joe. I'm during the debates, uh, during the primary, there were many nights I was left shaking my head, like, what is going on? What are they? What is this campaign doing? But Joe Biden and his campaign, they had the last laugh. They're, they're the nominee, and they have proven that they know what they're doing, and they have a plan, and they're not going to deviate from it just because of what pundits in the media and what some Democratic strategists are saying. Yeah, uh, listen... Um... And I, I think it goes beyond what their plan is or was. Uh, they have something that no other candidate had. They have Joe Biden. People like Joe Biden. People trust Joe Biden. They know Joe Biden. And they believe, and I think rightfully so, that Joe Biden really cares about them too. So when, you, when you're talking about politics, again, like what you said, you know, we're focused on policy and, and, and data and facts, but you're right. For most people, it's, it's who, is, who is the person that I'm going to vote for? Who is he? What is he about? What are his values? What's his personality? And, you know, you hear a lot of things about, about Joe Biden that are, you know, obviously not based in reality, but... I would be surprised if you were to take 10 random people off the street and ask them, you know, what are your thoughts on Joe Biden? Most people have positive opinions about Joe Biden. And that's what politics ultimately is. It's about forming personal relationships with people. And, you know, I thought Joe Biden's speech was also, was also fantastic. And I was, I was texting with Vince, um, you know, I'm getting serious Mr. Rogers vibes. Those are the perfect type of vibes we need right now, in my opinion. We need to be comforted because there's a lot of chaos that has stemmed from, from Donald Trump and by other circumstances as well. And in order to comfort someone, there has to be a fundamental belief that one, that that person knows what they're doing and two, that they really care. And Joe Biden knows what he's doing and he, and we know that he cares. 
And that's why I was texting Vince. I'm like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm 10 years old again watching Mr. Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And it was, for this moment, there could not have been a better speech given by, by Joe Biden. I agree, obviously, Dean, 100%. And I told you when you told me that, that is exactly what the Biden campaign wanted viewers to feel like. They need comfort. This is complete chaos that we're in, and they need a president who's going to be calming and comfort them and make them feel like everything's going to be okay because there are some real major issues that we're having to confront coming up in this country. I think, I think the other thing that Joe Biden proved in his speech, and you kind of talked about it right there as well, Dean, which is that he rises to the occasion. This has been a theme throughout his whole political career that Joe Biden understands and rises to the moment at hand. And that's something his team is, and that is something his campaign has been pitching from day one, that he, he's not perfect, that Biden's not perfect, that Joe's going to make mistakes, but he understands the moment. And when the moment's big, that's when Joe Biden shines the most. And there couldn't be a bigger moment than that speech because you knew what the Republicans were going to do. One gaffe, one, one bad statement, and they were going to run on it. And what Joe Biden did was stand up there and hit a home run. He did such a good job that the only thing Trump could do to criticize him was try to come up with a conspiracy theory. Well, maybe he taped it. It couldn't have been live. That's, that's where the Republicans were left. And when you listen to the Republican strategists after Joe Biden's speech, you understand why. They all admitted it. If you went to Fox News and listened to what Chris Wallace said, he was very blunt. The Trump campaign has ran off of one concept, which is that Joe Biden is inept and he lacks the mental fortitude to be able to be president. And that was going to be their attack on Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden just pushed that, to, pushed that to the side. That's not a viable attack anymore on him because you can't watch that convention speech and think to yourself that this guy is anything but presidential. And obviously, we know as Biden fans that that was always a caricature of him and that, let's face it, if you, even me and Dean, if you were to take every mistake that we make on this podcast, and you don't hear a lot of them because we edit them out, but if you took all the mistakes that we made, we would sound pretty inept at times too. <laughs> oh, for sure. And um, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe you just outed us, Vince. Um, so yeah, just to you know, give my final thoughts on Biden's speech in particular, I thought other than just the overarching message of his speech, what I thought was so poignant and so well done was his constant mentioning of dark versus light. Because like you're, you were saying, and, and I was saying, politics is more than just policy. Um, and maybe that isn't the way it should be, but that's the way it is right now. And when you look at the most successful politicians, they're able to grab you by your heart and not just your mind, right? They're able to connect with you on an emotional level. And that emotion can both be good and bad. It could be dark or light. Donald Trump, has been very effective at tapping in and grabbing people, people by the heart. 
the only problem is, is that the emotion that he is constantly tapping into is hate and fear. Where Joe Biden, as he displayed once again, is trying to tap into our better angels, the light, love, empathy, compassion. And it is dark versus light. And let's all hope that light wins once again. And to anyone listening who is shaking their head, thinking to themselves, how can he win on a message of hope? How can he win on a message of light versus dark or I'm going to unify? I'd like to remind you that a junior senator from Illinois ran on a message of hope, ran on a message of yes, we can, and he did okay. And I'd also like to remind everyone that the great Donald Trump ran on the phrase, make America great again. So we all love to talk about policy, but let's face it. I don't think that the average voter cares as much maybe as we do about policy. And I think you also have to look at the fundamentals of where this country's at, what we have in front of us, because everything's different in every election. And I think the comparisons to 2016, at least in my opinion, aren't very fair and aren't very accurate because this election is a lot different. Besides Joe Biden, the other person that I wanted to touch on really quickly, who I think did an outstanding job, Dean, was Senator Kamala Harris. I think her speech in prime time for a lot of voters, an introduction to her could not have went any better. Listening to her talk about her biography, her story is one that a lot of people can relate to. And her story is one that I think needs to be represented on this ticket. And that's why Joe Biden selected her, the daughter of immigrants. Someone who had to work very hard to get where she, where she got to. It wasn't handed to her. She didn't grow up with a silver spoon in her mouth like Donald J. Trump. She had to work for everything she got. And there were more impediments in her path because she wasn't a white girl with a rich family like Ivanka Trump. I mean, talk about the contrast that she is able to display between her and the Trump family. It's the perfect contrast for this election. And I think her story was a true star of this convention. Dean, was there one speech that was most surprising for you, like good or bad? So, and, and this is where we may have some disagreement. So it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise necessarily or the content of the speech wasn't a surprise. It was the DNC's decision-making that was a surprise. It was a surprise to me that they did not give AOC um, more time to speak. I think she is one of our most effective speakers. And as, as Vince says, um, I don't know if you've mentioned it on the podcast, but he was, he was explaining to me you know, previously, uh, earlier today, while we were prepping for the show, that the whole uh, strategy behind the DNC was to make, make it very clip friendly, right? So it was content that could be easily shared uh, via Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. So it was a format that favored so given that, I think it's the perfect format for someone like AOC, 
who, for good or for bad, her videos and her clips get spread like wildfire. And I think it is a missed opportunity to, to show off someone who is going to have a very impactful role in the future of the party. Um, just like we did in 2004 with, with Barack Obama. Now, I do understand it's a little different given Barack Obama's clear, very clear endorsement of the presidential nominee at the time, whereas AOC left a, some people confused as to why she, she didn't even say Joe Biden's name. So I get that, but there are so many moments in, in this country, in our media, that allows you to capture people uh, politically and to push a message politically. And to not feature AOC in a more prominent role during that time, during the DNC, uh, I think that was a surprise uh, for me that they did make that decision. Dean, you might be shocked to hear this, but I also agree that it was a missed opportunity for the Democrats to not better showcase her. It was not a surprise for me. In the words of Benjamin Franklin, God helps those who help themselves. And AOC has not done a great job helping herself and establishing herself when it comes to the Biden campaign. Her inability to really endorse Joe Biden after the Biden campaign has been very gracious and has put out an olive branch several times to her, trying to get her more involved in the campaign. And in return, what has she done? Pretty much slapped them in the face. Even telling reporters after she was added to the environmental group to decide on the policy for, the, for Joe Biden moving forward, that she still wasn't comfortable endorsing Joe Biden, that she would vote for him, but she couldn't endorse him. Now, that being said, I was a little surprised that the DNC didn't maybe try to make one last ditch effort to her to try to bridge that gap and try to get her to be more on board. In her defense, after she gave her speech, she was attacked pretty heavily by the media for not endorsing Joe Biden during that speech. And I think that was largely because a lot of people didn't understand what she was there to do. She was not there to speak about Joe Biden. She was there to talk about Bernie Sanders and formally give his nomination for president. That was her role. And I think she got attacked for not endorsing Joe Biden, but that was not what she was there to do. And to her credit, she went on Instagram afterwards and told her supporters very passionately that you need to support Joe Biden, that she is voting for Joe Biden, and she's going to work to make him president. But I agree, you know, it was a missed opportunity. I think it could have meant a lot to a fraction of our party who maybe is still disenfranchised. But also, we don't know the optics behind the situation. We're all assuming that, that she wanted to speak. Let's face it, though. Her camp could have went back to Joe and said, hey, we're not comfortable speaking. We represent a different group of our party. We're going to work hard to elect you. But I need to have, I need to have distance from your campaign because similar to what Bernie Sanders is doing, that I'll face a backlash. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen um, the backlash that Bernie Sanders has gotten on Twitter and on social media, but his supporters are referring to him as being libbed. He got libbed, referring to him endorsing Joe and getting behind Joe so emphatically. So maybe she wanted to distance herself for that. I think for Bernie, it's easy for him to deal with that criticism. He's not going to run again. He's done. 
So he has no problem going on all in for Joe, but for AOC, it might be a harder pitch for her to make with her supporters. And, and I think the future of the party is going to be either AOC or a Kamala Harris or a Pete Buttigieg or a Gretchen Whitmer. So I guess for me, the surprise was more so that I just think tactically it was a, it was a missed opportunity. I agree with you that tactically it was missed. What I'm wondering though, considering how much Joe has and the campaign has been over backwards to try to include people and to be inclusive. I find it very hard to believe that they didn't try to get her to speak for him. And I would not be surprised if she just said no. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a fair point. We'll never know. I mean, no one knows truly what happened back, what, what truly happened backstage. And, and let's face it. One of the things that Dean and I have talked about the Democratic convention is about nominating Joe Biden. It's a celebration of his candidacy. So at the end of the day, whoever he wants to speak is who they're going to put on, right? That's, that's who's going to speak. So for everyone saying, well, why did John Kasich speak? And we, didn't, we could have heard less of this person. That's who Joe wanted. That's who Joe trusts. He wanted this to be about him and the people that he believes in who helped get him there as a thank you to him. And let's also remember that typically these conventions are a lot longer and it, this was cut down a lot. I mean, typically you have all day of speeches. If this was an old style convention where you're speaking from 9 a.m. all the way until uh, 11, 12 o'clock at night, like they typically do, I guarantee you AOC would have had a spot and she would have been speaking. So keep that all in mind. And, and listen, you know, at the same time, um, you know, to any fellow, you know, more progressive uh, liberals, he won. We lost. <laughs> It's his, it's his convention, you know? Um, so I, I, I get, I do understand. And that's why, you know, of course I was surprised, but at the end of the day, if he wanted Kasich, he gets Kasich. He won our primary. Um, it's that simple. If we didn't want it that way, well, more of us should have come out to vote. So Vince, that was, I guess that's why, um, you know, I was most surprised about the DNC's decision regarding AOC. And um, what about you? What was your most surprising moment or speech of, of the convention? You know, for me, I think everyone who had an opportunity to speak really hit it out of the park. Uh, we've talked about that. They all delivered, right? They had, they, they knew the challenge at hand. It was prime time and they all hit home runs. The surprising one for me, and I mean surprising in a good way, of all the speeches that were given, I think one of the best speeches of the night and one of the, and I think one of the most effective and scathing indictments of Donald Trump came not from a politician, but from a daughter. I thought the speech by Kristen, and I'm going to butcher her last name, your, your quasi, I believe is how she pronounces her last name. I, I probably have that wrong. Dean knows I'm terrible when it comes to pronouncing people's last names. It's one of the biggest problems I have, I think, on this podcast. But Kristen's speech that she gave, talking about her dad being a healthy 65-year-old man and that his only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump. And for that, he paid the ultimate price, which was his life. To me, her speech that she gave, I wasn't expecting it. I, mean, I think it was probably one of the most effective indictments on, on Donald Trump's presidency. It was very emotional. You could feel her pain. And it was a reminder that we all forget this when it comes to COVID. We talk about the death rate all the time. During this episode, we talked about the 176,000 plus people who have died because of this virus. 
but it's very easy to dehumanize it when it's just a number. And she was able to remind everyone else, no matter the inconveniences that we face because of this virus, no matter your political beliefs, no matter what you think of this virus, that she lost a father. And she lost a father because he trusted when Donald Trump said it was a hoax, that it was a hoax. And her family and the effects that it's had on them will never be forgotten. To me, I was amazed by the speech she gave. And you know, I don't know in her situation if I would have been able to deliver something like that. I mean, you could tell the pain in her voice and her eyes from how it's affected her. Uh, so for me, Kristen did just an amazing job and, and it was the biggest surprise of the night. Dean, before we end this episode, I do want to get your quick reaction or thoughts on what you think the impact of this convention will be. Typically, conventions are good for about a one to two point bump in the polls for candidates, but they're short-lived bumps and uh, those post-convention bounces don't last. Do you think this convention will have any change on the effect of the race or do you think it's status quo? I think it possibly will have a greater impact uh, than a lot of people assume it will, just given uh, the historical effects of, of a convention. Um, and there's a couple, couple reasons why. The first reason is given you know, the obvious circumstances of, of everyone being at home and in front of their computer, on their smartphone, and then couple that with the fact that the strategy behind the convention um, and, how, and how the producers of the convention were thinking uh, in regards to creating content that was going to be easily shared. So those two factors make me believe that it will have a greater impact. Um, and two speeches in particular will, will make that impact. Um, and that is Barack Obama's speech and Joe Biden's speech. I think it's impossible to ignore the fact that Barack Obama's message was so powerful that you're gonna have millions of people on their devices watching that speech. Maybe they wouldn't have in the past. And then Joe Biden speak because he completely destroyed Trump's entire narrative. So, you know, given those two factors, I think it can potentially have more of an impact than we're assuming it will. And um, are you feeling the same way, Vincent, or do you think it's going to be more of the status quo? I largely agree with your sentiment. I think the biggest change will come from hopefully turnout. And Dean alluded to this as well, but I think people who were maybe on the fence, who were most likely going to vote Democrat, maybe are a little more energized, but especially people who were already going to vote for Joe Biden. They knew they were never going to vote for Trump. They were voting for a Democrat no matter what, but they felt this election didn't have the energy to get them excited to maybe knock on doors, didn't have the energy that they needed to want to make phone calls, to want to donate. That was the biggest improvement I think you're going to see from this convention from for Joe Biden as far as a tangible effect. He got the energy back for the people who were already gonna support him. Cause that's what this is gonna come down to. This is all gonna be about turnout. We can look at all the polls we want and they're gonna change and they're gonna go back and forth. But at the end of the day, it's all based on turnout. And if we 
if we let what happened in 2016 happen, which is we don't get energized and we're not just fired as fired up as the Trump team, as Trump side, we're going to lose this election. And that's one of the reasons we lost in 2016 was because we didn't turn out our base. And what I think this, what I think this convention did is it energized that base. And as someone who was part of that base, I was energized before, but it felt like 2008. I remember texting Dean while watching it. And I said, this is the first time since Obama that I can remember feeling this type of hope and energy from a convention. I mean, everything I believed in, they talked about, and they reminded me that it was on the ballot. And they reminded me how high the stakes are. And they reminded me of the moment that we're in. And sure, Joe Biden might not have been my first choice, but he is my choice now. And I got to do everything I can, and we got to do everything we can to make sure we elect him president, because another four years is not an option. And I think that's really where you're going to see the most impact from this convention is he fired up the base. People are fired up and they're ready to go once again. That's it for the Left and Lefter podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to share this episode with your family and friends. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Left and Lefter podcast. Join the Left and Lefter community at leftandlefter.com and follow us on Twitter at Left and Lefter. Left and Lefter.